0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Kikoteyama a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond the sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and sakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cook guests. And my guest today is Vincent Kazuhito Wao, who is the knife sharpener at Corinne, based in New York. Corinne has been offering premium quality Japanese knives, tableware, and cookware to Japanese and non Japanese chefs and consumers for the last 40 years. Vincent began studying knife sharpening in 2009, and thanks to his passion and patience, he has acquired the difficult skills and the mindset of a professional knife sharpener. And full disclosure, Corinne has been a long-time powerful supporter of Heritage Radio Network. And Corinne and Japanese share the same mission to celebrate the unique Japanese tradition. And I've been hearing about Vincent's great reputation from many different sources. So here he is. And today, we'll discuss how Vincent fell in love with Japanese knives, the challenges he had to conquer to become a knife sharpening expert, why we should sharpen our knives, and how to do it so effectively and efficiently, and Japanese knife buying tips, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write my review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Vincent Kazuhitovao. Hello, Vincent. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: So, yeah, this is exciting because I've been hearing Uh, Great things about what you can do, like a musician.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: So, uh, first of all, to get to know you, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up?
1: So, I'm uh, born and raised in New York. My mother is Japanese, my father is uh, Chinese and Thai. And, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, at home, my mom cooked Japanese food. Uh, Sometimes my dad would uh, cook Chinese food. And then my family owned a Thai restaurant, so we would eat Thai food as well. Uh, so I grew up with all kinds of foods when I was younger.
0: Oh, my. That sounds like a dream. <laughs> right. So, and then you have a very cool Japanese meal name, Hirohito, and the same as the 124th Emperor of Japan. So, yeah, sounds like a... You have a very deep...
1: Well, actually, my name is uh, Kazuhito, as you mentioned when you introduced me. Oh, sorry, sorry. Somehow, yeah, Kazuhito, I'm sorry. Yeah, somehow I just got
0: stuck in the Hito. I'm sorry.
1: Um, But actually, that's funny because uh, you mentioned the emperor, and that's part of why my name is Kazuhito. So my grandfather from my mother's side, he's Japanese, and he's the one that gave me my name. And my, uh, my, my, uh, my grandfather's name is Kazuo, and then his son is Hirokazu. So every generation has a kazu, and they wanted to name a third one, my generation, kazu. So I got the kazu from my my grandpa's, like, uh, name. And then hito is from the fact that the uh, Hirohito, you know, the emperor's name was uh, Hirohito. And uh, he wanted to give a, a, my name some, you know, peaceful meaning as well. Uh, so it's heiwa no wa. And uh, in Japanese, that means, you know, the character means, like, peaceful kazu. So, like... Uh, that's how I got my name. Mm, so it's oh interesting God. that you mentioned that. Wow,
0: <laughs> this is the greatest follow-up for my mistakes. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> no problem. But yeah, um, that's exactly how it came that I got my name. So it's 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 funny. <laughs> right.
0: Okay. So um, yeah, of course I calculated it. So no. <laughs> um, so how did you get into the knife industry? That's like a glaring question.
1: Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, Saori-san, the owner of Koren, uh, and my mother were uh, very good friends since I was born. So I grew up um, playing with Saori-san, the owner's daughter. We're th- around the same age. And then Koren was kind of my uh, my playground, my daycare. Uh, I would always come and Saori-san would take care of me. And... Uh, You know, when I got older, I was in college, I wanted a part-time job. And then she, you know, graciously let me come to work here. So I was just selling knives. And then one day, uh, her business partner, um, Chiharu Sugai, he was like, do you want to sharpen knives? Are you interested in sharpening knives? Because I need someone to help me. So, of course, I said, yeah, I'm interested in sharpening. And next thing you know, it's, you know, 12 years later and I'm one of the sharpeners here or I'm the sharpener here.
0: Hmm. Well, that's amazing. So, um, so you apprenticed under the, the late master shop, you said Chiharu Sugai, he unfortunately yes, passed yes. away, but, um, so how long did it take for you until you feel that you're great at what you're doing?
1: You know, that's a hard question because I still feel like I'm learning there's so much more to learn. So, um, you know, when I first started, uh, I was selling knives and practicing how to sharpen. Of course, in the beginning, I wasn't, you know allowed to work on a customer's knives, right? That's very uh, something that I have to work up to. So it took me about maybe one to two years before I was starting to work on um, easier knives that customers would bring in. But um, you know, to for me to be really confident in doing everything properly, um, I would say it probably took around four or five years before I really felt like, you know, I, I know how to do it and I, I don't have to have my my teacher, you know, as backup. Because when I first started, he would say, oh, don't worry if you mess it up because I can fix it. And that was like my crutch. That was my way of, you know, getting through it, even though I wasn't super confident. But I would say, yeah, four or five years until, until I was like, okay, I can do this even without his help or without him uh, backing me up. Mm. Um, but like I said, you know, now I still feel like there's so much more to learn. That's one of the joys of knife sharpening. Um, the more you know, the more you understand that there's even more things to learn. So uh, that's, you know, that's part of why I think I enjoy it as well.
0: Mm, right. That's a classic Japanese um, mindset of dough, like the way of. So the more you do, the more you find that you're not perfect at all. So <laughs> that's the master's mindset, I guess. So what was the most challenging part of your apprenticeship under Chiharu Sugai?
1: Um, Well, you know, what's interesting is like, uh, I think I had it pretty easy compared to other apprentices in Japan because I think Chiharu-san was very non-traditional. He was very friendly with me. You know, I knew him as almost like a father because I knew him since I was very young. So um, I think I had it very easy compared to other people. But uh, for me, I think one of the challenges was uh, I'm learning everything in Japanese, and he's teaching me in Japanese. And when I meet the knife makers or anything is in Japanese, but um, translating that into English, I think was probably the hardest thing because uh, I'm not used to the English terminology, and um, you know that's part of my job. That's part of my goal is to share what I learn in Japanese and share it with American chefs and, you know, share it with everyone here. So, um, yeah, I I guess there was a lot of like just researching or listening to other American, um, knife makers and sharpeners and kind of trying to figure out how to tie the two together. Mm,
0: Wow. But, uh, well, speaking of that, I think you are very few people. It on earth who can do that, They're talking about <laughs> Japanese knives in bilingual ways perfectly. So, yeah, <laughs> amazing. So, yeah, and then, um, so let's talk about Japanese knives. Uh, so what is the difference between the classic Japanese knives called wabocho and the Western-style knives, like German uh, knives?
1: Yeah, so the classic Japanese um, knives, the classic one is actually uh, single-edge, so you sharpen mainly on one side, the back is uh, concave, it's a little bit of a different construction, and these Japanese knives are very specialized for what they're designed for, so there's the knife called a Yanagiba, or Yanagi, which is meant for slicing fish, and that's really all it's designed for, Whereas um, Western-style knives, let's say a chef knife, it's very uh, multi-purpose. You know, a chef knife is meant to do a lot of different things. Um, and uh, they're also double-edged, meaning they're sharpened on both sides. So I would say those are the main differences. One, Japanese knives are more specialized, and uh, Western knives are more generalized.
0: Mm, Right. Well, actually, that reflects uh, the specialization of Japanese uh, cuisine, too, right? Like sushi chefs never cook, um, you know, other like soba noodles in general. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Interesting. So now, so what is the difference between babojo, the classic Japanese knife, and the more modern hybrid of Japanese and Western style knife called yobojo?
1: Yeah, so Yoboto is basically um, Western knives, double-edged knives that are made in Japan by Japanese makers. Um, These knives, compared to like German knives, for example, they are much lighter, they're thinner, they also, usually, they're sharpened um, asymmetrically, so they're sharpened more on one side than the other, which gives the knife a sharper edge. Um, So this is good for... You know, very class uh, a classic Japanese cuisine, like like um, working with ingredients that you want to preserve the the flavors and freshness. Um, a lot of high end French restaurants use it, for example, for detailed work. Um, again, German a little bit thicker, a little bit heavier, um, and uh, a little bit uh, not as sharp. I would say.
0: <laughs> right. So um, you know, like your the Korean carries a lot of um traditional wabojo and mm-hmm. uh is very, very specialized. But then uh yobojo, which is common used, commonly used in mm-hmm. Japanese households. And mm-hmm. uh, even I used to own, I still own a good one. Um <laughs> so so this the co- combination um of the Western style, it's like uh, you know, the Japanese style knife is one-sided you said earlier in the previous question but western style and uh, japanese knives that's the hybrid because it's a two-sided but sharper is that what
1: it is yeah so the, sorry the so the wabujo the single side is the sharpest and that's mm-hmm. why you see like uh sushi chefs for example use single edged knives because the single edged knives Um, do minimal damage to the ingredient so when you're cutting fish for example by using a single edge the sharpest knife um, you preserve the freshness of the ingredient Um, the yobojo is double-edged it's not as sharp as a wabojo but the yobojo is more versatile so you can do um, more things with it it's more uh, multi-purpose
0: Right, but it's still thinner than German knives.
1: It, it's example. still thinner than German knife, yes.
0: Mm, right, okay. So there is uh, something, you know, people don't think of um, anything between Wobojo and uh, Western, like, German-style knives. But there was something called Yobojo, which is, we shouldn't forget, because it's so popular and it's so handy. So that's the yeah. word I think majority of uh, listeners have never heard of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, these knives are... Uh, now, in any you know nice high-end kitchen in in New York, you'll see Yobojo being used. Um, you know, we sell a lot here at Corin, and you know it's something that um you know is is really accessible to everyone. You know you can use it at home. you can use it in a restaurant. you can use it in very many different kinds of situations.
0: Mm, right so uh, so what's the price range of good vobojo and Yobojo okay. respectively?
1: hmm So, you know, there's, there's a wide range of price ranges, right? Um, so yobocho is usually, you know, there are knives meant for more beginners, uh, so let's say culinary students, that can be around $100. Um, but then you can go all the way up to, you know, several hundred to even close to $1,000 in terms of yobocho. And the difference is, is the type of metal, the type of steel. When you you know when you go to the uh, knives that are more closer to a one thousand dollars, these knives are uh, very hard metal, so they're meant to stay sharp for a long time for for professional chefs who you know need something that they don't have to sharpen so frequently. But there are also knives that are on the lower end around hundred dollars, very affordable. This is great for culinary students who. Are, uh, need to practice how to sharpen as well. Um, these are great for home users who maybe don't use their knife nearly as much as a professional chef. Um, so there's a wide range for um, for uh, for Yobocho. And then same thing for Wabocho as well. Um, although Wabocho starts a little bit higher in price because these knives are hand forged by a blacksmith and there's uh, a lot more processes involved in, making each knife. So I would say these start a little bit closer to 200 and They can go um, up to several thousand dollars. I think the most expensive uh, we have currently in Corin is around uh, 5000 or $6,000 for waboujo. Wow,
0: that sounds like uh, the dream of chefs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and a, a lot of times these uh, waboujos becomes like a work of art. So um, the higher end ones, sometimes they'll use uh, gold, um, they'll do lacquer and, and, and platinum. They use very um, high end materials that are both functional and beautiful as art.
0: Mm, right. Well, I have to go there and then take a look, even just to see. Yeah, it's like a, sounds please. like a
1: museum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. I mean, we try to carry a lot of special things. So, um, mm. yeah, you should come by. <laughs>
0: Right. So, yeah, by the, by the way, you know, Corinne's uh, Tribeca showroom, and it's, it's like this you see the whole range of designs and sharpness shapes, and it's actually, it's, it looks like a little knife museum to me.
1: <laughs> we have uh, up to, depending on, you know, how much we have in stock, but up to 600 knives on display, so.
0: Oh, wow. Right. Okay. So, um, the... Well, so we talked about the price range of wabojo, That was very expensive. But um, the classic style knives uh, are for the reason it's expensive because there are many, many steps. So um, maybe you can tell us how wabojo is made, which is a traditional mm-hmm. style.
1: Yeah. So first and foremost, you know, the, uh, the the blacksmith has to be experienced in order to make a good knife. So they train for years and years. And, you know, among blacksmiths, you know, a lot, some people will say, oh, you, you can't make a good knife until you're older than 65 years old. That's yeah. when you can really make a good knife, you know. So there's a lot of experience that needs to go, you know, they need to develop first. Um, and then, the materials there's many different materials, but generally for Wabocho, you wanna you're using high carbon steel, which is um, gonna allow the knife to get extremely sharp, and uh, and hold that edge for a long time. Um, the other thing that actually I I like to tell people that people don't really always know is uh, a knife takes a long time to make because there's a point where you want to let the knife rest so the knife maker will, uh, the blacksmith will forge the knife and then they will let it rest for you know months, sometimes years, kind of like wine. You have to let the metal rest. And after it's rested, then you continue the process and uh, polish wow. and sharpen and then put the handle on. And this is one of the things that's really important to make a good knife. Uh, so it takes a very long time from start to finish. And a lot of people don't really realize that that's part of the process.
0: Hmm, interesting. So it tightens and stabilizes itself. And of course, you have to, like, crazy. And uh, what I heard is, you know, this knife part is done. Then there's a professional sharpening skills. And then there's a person uh, touching a handle, which is specifically designed often, and the final sharpening. That means, like, what I heard is everybody involved in the process um, is an independent master, so it's almost yes. like, it's, it's not like one factory, boom, boom, boom. It's like, it takes forever. It's like a co-collaboration of masters.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very different from Japan and American knife makers. Because generally for American knife makers, one person forges the knife, sharpens the knife, makes the handle. But in Japan, like you said, each step goes to a very skilled specialist. So it starts with the blacksmith who makes the knife. Then, like you said, goes to a sharpener and then it goes to the handle maker and they put the handle on it and you have to find, you know, the best in each uh, part of the knife making process to create the final, you know, product. So there's a lot of people that are involved and, you know, people each step of the way, they need to have good experience and amazing skill to produce the best. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's part of, why Wabucho or, you know, Japanese knives can be more expensive.
0: Right. Well, that's interesting. That reminds me of, you know, going back to that specialization, specialization mindset, uh, like sushi chefs uh, rely on fishermen who can process the fish the best way, like engagement techniques and those things. And there's a really uh, skilled distributor uh, who can purchase the best fish for the chef from the market. And each step matters to get to the best dish on your plate. So I really think it's a classic Japanese mindset and Japanese knives, of course, represent that mindset.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Okay, so we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss Vincent's knife sharpening training under the masters in Japan and how to sharpen your knife in your own kitchen. So please stay with us. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs on HRN, Heritage Radio Network. And I'm your host, Aki Kote-Yama. And my guest today is Vincent Hazicht Lau, who is knife sharpener at Corin, based in New York. Okay, so um, there are many knife production regions in Japan. So maybe you can tell us some of the most famous regions and uh, characteristics of each region.
1: Yeah, um, so I think two of the big ones, I would say, are Seki and Sakai. So Seki is uh, a, a city that um, I think a lot of the Yobocho uh, are made. And their history, they used to make um, samurai swords or katana. And that transitioned slowly into um, knife making, culinary knife making, when you know the, the making swords wasn't necessary anymore. Uh, the other place that is really well known for knife making is Sakai. So, Sakai is right outside of Osaka, and they have a long history of iron working. So, that's part of why they're able to get these great um, great uh, ingredients, the materials, to create some of the best knives in Japan. Mm,
0: right. So, and I heard um, that we discussed how specialized. The, those classic uh, the knife makers were that I heard um, only a handful of masters exist to preserve that tradition, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, before uh, doing this knife making trade, it, it's very intensive. It takes a very long time to. Um, to, to gain the skill. And then a lot of younger generations would go into other industries like, you know, IT and, you know, computers. And, um, there weren't many people continuing on this knife making tradition. So slowly there were less and less people. And now there's, you know, really a handful of, of experts that can make the the best knives in Japan. But thankfully it seems like there's more people, uh, interested in going back to this knife making industry. And there's, there's been a little bit of a resurgence in an in interest towards this, um, you know, this tradition.
0: Mm, right. I think partly because, um, you know, all those social media uh, now featuring the cool work like yours. And uh, <laughs> there's something very, you know, impressive and visually, and it's, it's very spiritual too. So I understand why, but it's, it's amazing how, younger generations are actually getting into that. So that's a good
1: news. You know, what's interesting, I, I feel, is that, um, and this is, you know, talking to some of the makers in Japan, it seems like now there's more interest in Japanese knives outside of Japan than within Japan because now there's so many American chefs and European chefs that really appreciate the work that goes into the craftsmanship of making these knives. And, you know, that, that interest is really... Um, sparking this new, in, you know, p- uh, younger generation to come back and, and, and start to learn uh, the traditions. You know, part mm-hmm. of it was with Sari san for example, uh, the owner of Korin, she really, you know, put a lot of energy into to really teaching about how great these Japanese knives are. And uh, over the last 40 years, it's really showing, you know, how it's affected the industry.
0: Mm, right, that's interesting because uh, that reminds me of how the Japanese sake industry has been resurging because of the popularity outside Japan, and the younger generations mm-hmm. started to realize oh, this is not a dad drink, it's a very cool, stylish drink. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. sake yes. is becoming more popular. So, hopefully, it's going to keep happening in many other areas of tradition in Japan. Yeah. Right, so and then in 2012. You went to Japan to train yourself father, and visited the homes of knife production. That's uh, yeah. the mentioned sakai and no seki So could you tell us about the experience and what you learned from the masters?
1: Yeah, so up until that point, um, mainly I learned from my teacher, Mr. Chiharu. And uh, by going to these knife makers and seki and Sakai, you know, I'm able to see how there's other ways, other subtle things that uh, people will do about sharpening. So I was able to really absorb from, you know, all different kinds of people and really see what works best for me. Uh, so I thought that was really something that was so valuable for me to go. The other thing was really seeing how much uh, work goes into each knife really allowed me to gain a new perspective, a new appreciation for for these knives so yeah i I already liked knives before i went but after i went and really understood how these knives are made and how they're sharpened and all the work that goes into it i was uh you know i fell in love even more so Mm. you know it was a really wonderful memorable trip and uh know i was supposed to go back in 2020 in february but right Mm. right then the, the the pandemic started so unfortunately that That trip got postponed. So, hopefully, I'll get to go back soon again.
0: Right. I hope so too. Right. That's interesting that um, once you see what's being made, your interest deepens and your understanding deepens, and the respect deepens into whatever the products are. So,
1: yeah, yeah, that's great. Absolutely. So, you know, it gives me more, you know, excitement to share that, like what I saw with with our customers and and chefs here and really try to to even a little bit understand and and appreciate, you know, what I saw.
0: Mm, Right. Yeah. And uh, so let's talk about sharpening itself. So why is it important to sharpen your knife?
1: Um, so a couple things, right? Number one is it's uh, when you have a sharp knife, you know, you're doing less damage to the ingredient itself. So if you're cutting an apple, for example, uh, you cut an apple with a sharp knife, it's gonna discolor more slowly. It's gonna, it's not gonna brown as fast. While you cut onions with a sharp knife, um, you're not gonna tear up as much because you're not crushing the uh, the cell structure. Um, So sharpening your knife really will improve your cooking just because you're able to preserve the flavors of the ingredient better. Mm -hmm. The other thing you want to sharpen your knife is because of safety. You know, I know it's a little bit cliche, but people usually say a sharp knife is safer because uh, if you have a dull knife and you're trying really hard to cut something, you're applying more force and you can actually slip or, you know, hurt yourself by, by using a dull knife. When you have a sharp knife, it's going to, everything will be smooth, you know. So as long as you're aware of using the knife properly, it's a lot safer.
0: Mm, right. Yeah, it is funny that, um, I mean, the sashimi, I, I had a block of sashimi and uh, I sliced, tried to slice it. I it was so ugly. It's like a uh, bumpy. <laughs> and I sharpened the knife yeah. and then I was like, wow, how, what a difference yeah. I could easily make. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: you know one thing that the professional chef actually told me about the sashimi right when you cut the sashimi with a, a sharp knife the the segment that you cut is going to be more smooth um so when you dip it in soy sauce it doesn't absorb too much soy sauce and you can taste the fish but if you cut the sashimi with a dull knife you're almost tearing at the uh at the fish so the the segment is more porous, so it absorbs a lot of soy sauce, and the soy sauce will overpower the flavor of the fish. So, uh, sharp knives can affect the flavor of, you know, what you're cooking or 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 your sashimi sushi as well.
0: Mm, interesting. Oh, good to know. Um, okay, so so so, how often should you sharpen your knife?
1: <laughs> that is probably the hardest question to answer because everybody. Uh, uses their knife differently, and what you're cutting is going to be uh, affect how long your knife stays sharp. Also, what metal your knife is made of will affect how long your knife stays sharp. Uh, so there's so many variables. But generally speaking, I would say if you're a professional chef, you probably want to touch up your knife at least once a week, sometimes more, depending on what your knife is made of. Um, if you're a home user, I would say every six months, maybe to a year, depending on, again, what knife, uh, what metal your knife is made of. Mm,
0: I I even don't know what it's made out of. That's what I probably have to do me the exam first or maybe bring it to you and you can tell me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, but I know, of course, it's the best way is to bring my knife to you and uh, probably you're going to make it like pristine. But <laughs> on a daily basis... Um, What's the best way to maintain the sharpness? Like you said, I, I, you know, I, I think my knife gets dull because my sharpening skills, like every couple of months, uh, are not enough. So if it gets dull, like by cutting vegetables, like, oh, this is not cutting well. This is stuck to mm-hmm. each other. So what's the best way at home to maintain, I mean, the sharpened knife?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I definitely say you, you should get a, a whetstone. Um, and a lot of times people are intimidated by a whetstone, but it's actually not that difficult. Um, it's just difficult to master. But in terms of getting and maintaining an edge, it's actually not that difficult. So um, getting a, a whetstone and, and learning how to use that properly will go a long way for, for sharpening and maintaining your knives at home or professionally. Mm.
0: So whetstone, you mean by, uh, like, I have one. Uh, so there are two uh, like two um, different grains of the stone that get mm-hmm. attached to each other so once once you get it wet and then fully make it like smoother like with water and you sharpen with the coarse side and then flip to the other side and sharpen right that's the idea of wet stones correct
1: yeah so generally the stones come in different roughness or coarseness, like you said, Uh, and it's kind of like sandpaper. You start on the rougher and then you slowly work your way up to the finer. So as a professional, um, depending on the knife, I can use up to, you know, five or six stones. But for home users, you know, two stones is really going to go a long way. So I would definitely uh, get a medium grit, a medium grain, and then a fine grain uh, to sharpen your knives and maintain your knives at home.
0: Mm, right and uh, i'm aware you have amazing youtube channel so um do you have the basic and skill video like if i get one how to use the the (laughs) yeah
1: so you know it's uh we have videos that go step by step in terms of um what kind of night you have um what kind of stones you should use. Like we have several videos broken up into episodes so that, you know, anyone from beginners to professionals can follow along and, uh, and, and sharpen watching the YouTube videos.
0: Mm, I have to go there straight after this episode. I feel like <laughs> I was doing so well. Yeah. <laughs> like, or if you're um, close
1: by, you know, you're in New York, you can come visit and, you know, we can definitely <laughs> go over as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's important, right? I've never thought of what the ingredients of knives are. So, yeah, it's one thing I should pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And then, um, so you um, not only sharpen knives, but uh, you repair broken knives. So what kind of damages can you mend? Or you cannot?
1: So... Yeah, so we anything on the blade, generally, I will be able to fix. So if you uh, broke the tip off or there's a big chip in your knife um, or if your knife is completely rusted, generally, those kind of things I'll be able to fix. Uh, unfortunately, I can't do any kind of handle work here because um, that, that's a little bit of a different skill. And uh, so I, I can't do that here, but anything on the blade, generally, I'll be able to fix here.
0: Mm, right. Well, I, I saw one of your Instagram, um, you know, the post, and then it's almost like it's impossible to repair it. And you made it almost like new. So um, you can just probably before you give up, you can just bring it to um, the specialized to you. Then most likely um, broken knives can be repaired. Is that the assumption?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, knives that people will assume like there's nothing that can be done, but we can actually, uh, you know, bring it back to life.
0: <laughs> mm, right. So, and also I, I I am aware I am not keeping my knives very well. So what's the best way? Like, you know, chefs have like special knife section in the kitchen. And, but should we just have a separate space for your good knife in a box and each time you use you have to keep it untouched with anything else
1: Uh, i mean generally um you know knives don't have to be so high maintenance basically the two things that you want to do is store it in a safe place so usually for me i just put it in a box and then in my drawer in the kitchen or if someone has a knife block that's fine Um, the other thing that you want to make sure you do is uh, clean your knife after you're done, clean it with warm water and soap and then make sure that it's fully dry before you put it away. If you do you know these things, then uh, a knife, you know, that's all you really need to do. You don't really have to care or worry too much about it unless your knife is made of what's called high carbon steel. If you use a knife that's made of high carbon steel, these will rust very, very fast. So you have to um, keep it dry at all times and apply oil uh, if you're not using it for long term. So um, well, those are the only types of knives that are going to be harder to to maintain. But yeah, generally put it away and wash it and dry. it, And that's all you need to do. Mm,
0: okay. And uh, for our listeners who are not interested in using Japanese knife, Wabojo, uh, Yogojo. So what is your suggestion for the first time user in terms of the type uh Price range and anything else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, go for a Yobojo or double sided, double edged Japanese knife. Um, something like a chef knife is gonna be, you know, very versatile. You'll you'll just with one knife you can pretty much do everything in a in a kitchen and um price range wise, you know, even something like for around $100, you're going to get a great Japanese knife that is going to be a pleasure to use. It's going to make cooking a lot of fun. You know, my knife that I I have at home that I use every day is a uh, Togiharu, which is our, our brand. And the one I have is the softest steel. So, you know, it's very easy to sharpen. I sharpen it maybe once every six months to a year. And I love it. You know, I, I enjoy cooking. I cook every night. You know, people assume that I have like, you know, a knife that's hundreds and thousands of dollars but my knife is a very basic knife and I, I really enjoy using it every day.
0: Huh, interesting. So what's the is that uh just a general uh yobojo I you know for example people uh, discuss like uh, santoku is good or certain style of knives are better for home cooks.
1: Yeah, so um I like chef knives so something like a 8.2 inch uh, chef knife is what I like to go. That's my knife that I use at home. Um, santoku is also good. Santoku is multi-purpose and uh, it's it's a little bit smaller than a chef knife. So if you have a smaller kitchen, for example, you know, a lot of kitchens in New York City are very small. So um, if you have a smaller kitchen, maybe a Santoku is a good option as well. But I would definitely say chef knife or Santoku, something that's multi-purpose use is going to be, um, you know, good for your first knife.
0: Mm, right. Okay. And then the price range can be...
1: Um, you know, around $100 and uh, you're getting a great knife, definitely. Mm, right.
0: And any suggestions about uh, sharpening stones?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I would say before you buy a sharpening stone, um, check out our YouTube videos or check out any YouTube videos and see if it's something that you are interested in learning. And if you are, I would say, look for a double-sided sharpening stone. This is great for home use. Um, but in some cases, if people don't want to learn the skill uh, and they're home users, they can just bring it into a professional, whether it's me or anyone, uh, once a year or so. And that's that's more than enough to, to maintain the sharpness of the knife. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And some people, you know, Western chefs um, tend to use the honing steel. Um, mm-hmm. So... What's the difference? I mean, do you still recommend uh, the whetstones?
1: Yeah, so for home users, I usually say a honing steel is not necessary. Basically, a honing steel and a sharpening stone are two different things. A honing steel doesn't sharpen your knife. A honing steel realigns your edge. So uh, if, if you're a professional chef, you're in the kitchen, uh, you need your knife to perform a little bit better. You can run it on the steel a little bit to restore the edge a little bit. But if your knife, if you've lost your edge on your knife, you need to use a whetstone to create a new edge. Um, for home users, I would say just having a stone will do the job of a honing steel as well. So I, I don't think it's necessary for a home user to, nece- uh, to have a steel.
0: Mm, interesting. Okay. So... Yeah, well, you have a lot of uh, skills you mastered and you said you want to, um, you know, go farther. So what are your plans and dreams?
1: You know, I, I love what I do. Um, growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I, when I was an adult uh, as my a career. And the one thing I knew was I wanted to use my Japanese. I can speak it fluently. And I wanted to use the fact that I'm bilingual. And this job really gave me the opportunity to do that. So I want to continue to teach and share, you know, my je- Japanese like traditions, right, to to these American chefs, and be that kind of. It's cliche, but I want to be that bridge, or Japanese would say kakehashi, right, um, to to share this culture with with this all new audience uh, here in the states. Um, you know, longer longer term, I'd like to I'd like to grow the company here and really. Get a lot more people to understand why Japanese divers are so great.
0: Mm, right. Well, that's interesting that you created your own unique um, career I and mean, the job. I think uh, it's kind of beyond that. You who, <laughs> who can do that, right? You totally understand the tradition and completely um, share the mindset because you have Japanese as well as American. And then you can speak the language, not the you know, language mingling Japanese only, but knife language of tradition. So, yeah, I think uh, what you do is so special. So, yeah, good luck.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> right. And uh, so uh, I know you are at uh, Corin, So what days of the week do you usually
1: go there? Yes. So... So Quora is open four days a week, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday. So I'm here every day we're open. Um, so if, yeah, if, if our store is open, I'll be here uh, unless I'm on a business trip, um, visiting customers in other cities
0: <laughs> mm, <laughs> or no, training Do you do that too? Yeah. Do you visit other cities?
1: Yeah. So uh, I, I teach sharpening. We go to restaurants, hotels, and culinary schools all across the country. So um. Yeah, If if I'm doing that, then there may be times that I'm away from the store. But if we're open, generally, I will be here.
0: Interesting. So do you um, do do the classes that maybe our listeners can participate?
1: Yeah. So unfortunately, we don't have the classes yet. Uh, We did do prior to COVID. Um, Hopefully, we'll start up again uh, sometime soon. But as of right now, we don't have any classes um, for the public. But Uh, If we do, if we ever change that, and hopefully we will soon, it'll be on our website and we'll obviously post it on social media as well.
0: Mm, Right. Okay. So speaking of uh, where can we find updates online and on social media?
1: Yeah. um, So Instagram, uh, we have at Corin Knives. Um, I also have my Instagram uh, at Vincent Saves Knives. Like that.
0: Great name. (laughs) Vincent Saves
1: Knives. (laughs) (laughs) Vincent Saves Knives. Yeah. Uh, We also have our YouTube channel that we are actually posting new videos up. So we're trying to uh, improve that as well. So you can find us on YouTube as well.
0: Mm, That's Corin Knives, right? That's That's the name of the channel. Yes, yes. All right. So great. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Vincent. And uh, again, what you do is so valuable. So yeah, thank you and good luck.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: All right so listeners if you have any questions or comments about the show or short suggestions for short topics or guests please contact us at japanese at heritage network.org or kikwateyama.com japan needs is a weekly program and is always available at heritage as well as on itunes stitch and spotify as a podcast engineer is amin spenjon and thank you for listening i will see you next week Bun Eats is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.